0: Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, more on the coverage of Ukraine. So we're recording this on Monday and we've seen a weekend and now five days of intense Russian attacks on Ukraine, especially on the biggest cities in Ukraine. Um, There's been some amazing journalism that's come out of this, amazing reporting by people on the ground. But as Russian troops get closer and the danger ratchets up, there's an obvious question for journalists about how dangerous is too dangerous, and do you stay or do you go, and where can you be most effective if you're gonna be covering this conflict? This week, I talked to two reporters on the ground in Ukraine who have been wrestling with this decision. Both have decided to leave the most dangerous areas they were in, And both have, in their own way, sort of wrestled with this decision. So I'll start off with a conversation with Eleanor Beardsley, who is reporting in Ukraine for NPR. Eleanor and I talked a few weeks ago um, after she had covered the French president's visit with Putin. She's been to Ukraine, and now she had been back in Ukraine. And I spoke to her as she was in the car on her way to the Hungarian border to get out of the country. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead.
1: Okay, no, just, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm heading out today, so.
0: Where, you're in a car with an NPR colleague?
1: Yeah, and we're um, they're trying to get us out through Hungary, so we're driving through the Carpathian Mountains. We're catching a bus to the Hungarian border. We're going to walk across and catch another bus to Budapest, and hopefully I'll have my flight to Paris tomorrow.
2: How far is the walk?
1: I don't know. We just have to walk over the border. I am not. I don't think it's too far, but, you know, I don't think it's... Well, I don't know. Actually, I actually have no idea. There could be tons of people just going to the border crossings. We're going to find out. Um, we're just know. trying to get our bus to get there, and then we'll find out. It might be very crowded, but it's supposed to be less crowded than Poland.
2: And where were you before this?
1: Okay, before this, I, I flew into Kiev on Friday the, I want to say, 18th. Uh-huh. And I spent a couple of days in Kiev. Then I went east to the Donbas, and I went right up against the separatist Republic to some like small towns like ten miles from the front line i didn't I ended up not going in the trenches or anything like that, but I was over in the east and then um on uh, drove out of there and went to Harki spent one night, and that's when the invasion started the next morning. We spent one night in Harkiv, and I, my husband called me at three thirty in the morning from Paris and said, "Where are you?" Because CNN is reporting that Putin is going to invade Harkis. And I said, "Oh, I'm in Harkiv. It's kind of a horrible feeling. And then, yeah. and then I spent yeah. the entire day. So we decided, uh, just, you know, like we, we didn't. Uh, we, as soon as that war declaration, on my phone, like you BBC, if you got a little, Putin declares war, blah blah blah. I heard the explosions and it was just like chilling because we knew that it was starting. And it, it, yeah. And then we spent the entire day trying to but well, we decided to get out instead of, you know, hunker down. We didn't think they'd start showing so we thought let's just get out of here and we left at five thirty in the morning.
2: How was the um reporting before you left? How how what was how did you find the mood of the people? How did you go about doing your job?
1: Oh, well, I was in this village, Slavyansk, and I had, it was amazing, it was a village that was briefly occupied by the separatists, and, um, you know, and met the mayor, they spent only, like, three months under separatist occupation, but it was horrible, like, the journalists felt threatened, people felt, it was just a terrible time, and many things were destroyed, people's houses and fighting, and, and the Ukrainian army took it back, and everybody was very glad, but they were close, they were in Donetsk Oblast, so they were close, they said, we never want to live under that. And um, I'm going to do a story about that. Uh, that was my next big feature. The invasion came the next morning. I spent the whole day there and then drove out and the invasion came. I reached some of the people a couple of days later and they hadn't been invaded yet, but I've been able to reach them. And I fear that um, but they're not, the, I mean, yeah, because the republic is going to enlarge, try to take all of the Donbass and then the attack is on for Harkiv and Kiev and then up from the south. So So, and we um, we watched the country Go ahead. No, we watched the country completely change. I mean everything changed. It changes every day. The first day was a state of shock. People were in an absolute state of shock. We were out on the highways at five thirty in the morning and there was kinda nobody out and all of a sudden they started getting crowded. People would ride by really fast and there's just people just with a stunned look on their face and then the next day it was anger. And we rode by little towns, and there, was, there were hundreds of men out ready to enlist, and the, and the army and the territorial defense, and we met fathers and sons together, and, and, and you could feel an anger. And then next day, they're mobilizing, and there's roadblocks put up everywhere, like on highways, going into little towns, and like neighborhoods. People have you know, brought out guns. They're just protecting. They're, they're looking for Russian saboteurs. I mean, they're really... Every, you know, we went through many checkpoints at night. You have to turn the lights on, they shine lights in, they look at you, they want to know who you are. I mean, the whole nation is really vigil. I mean, they're, they're preparing, and as they watch these two cities, the onslaught on their two biggest cities, and the rest of the country knows that they could be next, and people are getting ready. We went to a little town, we arrived right as an air raid timer was going off, and people were just calmly filing down under us preschool into this bunker under there where they had benches set up, food and water, and they had one room with little beds for all the kids, and they were big enough that adults could sit on them, so people were lying there. Some people brought their dogs down, other people were cats in cages, and like they have been doing it forever, and they've only been doing it two days, and that was a couple days ago, and so it's a completely different country, and things are shut now. We were in the news today, and... Stores are closed
2: mostly stopped a
1: lot has stopped. How are people
2: eating? Like, where's the, are the grocery stores open?
1: Yeah, the grocery stores are still open, though in that little town we went to, the family said that it, they had gone that day and there were no provisions, because, and the store clerk said to, that the, uh, the trucks had been shot at at the border. Uh, oh. at the, not the border, but the boundary of the town limits. There's a lot of mm. fear. Nobody knows really what's going on, and... But so far like stores are open and there's food and there's water. There's there's lots, huge lines at the gas station. That's a big mm-hmm. thing and they've only been letting people get five gallons at a time. So that's a big deal. If you don't have your car guessed up I and mean, you have to wait for out we had we had to wait a long time for gas, many times. So Um,
2: Eleanor, let me ask so you about time? this. Let, let me ask you about the call from your husband. So he called at three thirty in the morning, um uh, when this when this mm-hmm. happened. Um You talked to him. I know that you have kids at home, or a kid. I remember Mm we talked last time. Did you? How how much did you debate this in your head, or I mean, I assume you'd already been thinking about this, do I stay or do I go? But um, tell me about the thought process there. Well, it was really
1: scary because I was actually really scared. Like. I mean, you know, I wasn't like, my life wasn't going to end late. I really thought, my God, I am in the far east of Ukraine, 25 miles from Russia, in this key town. And of course, you know, the time we talked, I didn't believe any of this, that it could be this. I couldn't fathom it. I mean, I was wrong. I was 100% wrong. But I, I mean, there were many other people. The Ukrainians are in a state of shock. It, it's like we're having World War II in 2022. It's un. Fathomable. I just received a video of hockey being shelled from a friend of mine. It's her apartment building she can see in the background. She now lives in California, but her father is in there and he's eighty years old. And the women the people who filmed it, they're talking and you see shells are raining down on a residential, you know, ha- housing block. It's just so yes, at that moment like our security guy said we need to go to the basement. But I was like, but yeah it is just kids like she think it's um, and my husband said, Do you have a French passport? Can't ever remember. I'm like, No, I don't have a French passport because I need to get one. He said, You don't need, you shouldn't be stuck there with your American passport, you know and, and I just thought, Oh my God, I don't want to be here when the Russian soldiers arrive is all I could think. Yeah. But you don't know what to do. And and when he called me it was dark and we called our security guy next door. I said, What are we doing? And we, we decided to go on the road in a car. We had a we had a Ukrainian it was true, a fixer, but the three of us alone on the dark roads and back to the seas. And so we decided to wait till daylight and then decide. And, and we decided to go. And I'm so glad we did because then the, after it get stuck and you, you can't go, and then the you roads are blocked and you can't get back. And we got back, but it is that decision. And every million of Ukrainians were making that same decision. Yeah. Some are hunkering down, some are leaving. And, and I thought about I so much about World War Two, Unbelievable. I thought about, you know, like the Jewish people,
2: they didn't, they didn't believe it either. I know. You know, I talked to you know. a journalist from the Kiev of Independence who was exactly where you are. He was in a car leaving the town. He's in a different situation. He's, he's lived in Ukraine. He's a young, younger guy, but he was like, I'm leaving, but I don't know, if, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the right thing to do. I don't know if it's, should I should turn around and go back. I I don't know what to do. Um, you know, I yeah. am reminded of our, of our last conversation and we've talked about this and you, you had the view that I had that, as you say, a lot of people have, like, this can yeah. never happen. This is, this is absurd. Yeah. This is absurd. Um, yeah. um, do you still, I mean, do you still even have, have seen what you've seen and experienced these last few days? Do you still have a hard time wrapping your head around it?
1: Yes, yeah, I do. And I think Putin has really lost, he's unhinged. There's something very, I I don't think, he does not understand Ukraine today. I really don't think he's been in a bubble. He doesn't use a phone or internet or anything. He has millions around him. So I think that's part of it. The whole first day, I was like, is this a dream? I cannot believe this is happening. And when you look at the footage, these soldiers are rolling into a country that's done nothing. And they are attacking it. And I still can't imagine how they're going to occupy it. They're going to be attacked from now until kingdom come. They will not have one moment's peace here. And so, But it's going to be long and it's going to be horrible. And no, I still can't believe it. And neither can the Ukrainians. And I will tell you one thing. I will never doubt U.S. intelligence again. That's unbelievable. I mean, they got it exactly right. These crazy predictions about a tall scale of assault on the major cities, which were seems so absurd when you're here. It's a like normal place. You've got a beautiful, nice my city and, yeah, it still seems unreal, though, and when you see the footage of what's happening, it's, yeah, it's unreal, and I think it's
0: I don't think Putin's
1: a madman. He a Hitler-type character. He's in his world of fantasy and he's, nobody can reach him and nobody can tell him the truth. It seems like that. And A person like that can do anything, so it's very dangerous.
2: Yeah. Do you feel, are you feeling um, a sense of relief for your personal safety, or are you still worried about the journey
1: that you have ahead of you? No, I'm not worried for my personal safety. I think I was a couple times like trying to get out. That first morning in hockey, I felt very alone at 3.30 in the morning in the dark, straining my ears. To, to see if I could hear any attacks, you know, it was, it, yeah, I still couldn't believe it. But why is everybody saying it? That moment was scary. And there's been some—I mean, there's a lot of checkpoints now, but there's has been some You don't feel scared, but there's been—you know—air raid sirens, I and mean, you don't know. You, you think our plane's going to fly overhead and strike us? You just don't know. But I haven't really been scared. Just that first morning. But if I were—if I was going back and if I were in tears, I'd be terrified. Yeah terrified of being shelled and terrified of what the Russian troops would do when they found an American journalist. Yeah. No. I, it's I, it's I, not just I, lush, young Russians. It's, it's like Chechens and, and, you know, mercenaries, the Wagner group, I mean, some really scary kind of people.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, it's great to connect with you. Good luck on this, hopefully, this last um, couple of legs here. <laughs> and. I'll be thinking yeah. of you and looking forward to talking to you next time from your apartment. Um, okay. And,
1: and, and next time, I hope not to get it so long and never doubt US Intel. They're good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All oh. right, Eleanor, be safe. Take care. Good to talk to you.
1: Thank you. Good to talk to you too. Bye-bye.
0: Next up, Igor Kosov. Igor is a editor at The Key of Independence, which is a newspaper capital that has been doing a fantastic job of covering what's going on there. He also has been wrestling with this, this decision and I also talked to him as he was leaving where he was in Kiev. He had just sort of hitched a ride with somebody and was on his way out of the capital and I talked to him as he was in the car. Chris, tell, tell me where you, where you are. Uh,
3: well, I was in Kiev until... This morning, and then I uh, took a car to uh, uh, There's seemingly an unbroken convoy, uh, well, not convoy, oh, there's an unbroken column of vehicles just all the way from vehicle to vehicle to vehicle. um, So I am in this vehicular sort of caravan at the moment.
2: You said you left this morning. Um, what country mm-hmm. do you leave? This morning versus yesterday or, or whatever. What was what was the catalyst?
3: Um, we decided to evacuate some staff um out of here uh, while some people remained. Um I'm actually thinking of going back myself, but that's not I haven't fully made it my yet. Um, um yeah. there was a seat in the car. And there was a seat in the car and then my other uh my other driver failed, I uh, couldn't make it. They, I, uh, The people he was going with uh, chose to stay, so he wasn't able to go, and uh, I had to make a snap decision, but uh, yeah, I believe really, I should have taken Keith. You think you should have? Well, it's dangerous, but I think it's also going to be the most important chapter of uh, this conflict uh, whenever they decide to go ahead and attack which is, which could be any minute.
2: So tell me how you've gone about thinking about how to, how to cover this sort of, um, how have you prioritized? I mean, it seems it's such a a massive, overwhelming, all-encompassing thing. How have you all thought about what, how, how to pick,
3: you're not a huge newsroom. How have you thought about how to pick your shots and how to do this? When the thing started, very quickly i saying, okay, you do this, you do that. She gave me an assignment to uh, just put together a list of all the attacks. Um, I decided I started doing it by time when they happened. And this sort of evolved into a live blog uh, until today when uh, my computer ran out of batteries down the road. But uh, we're, we're continuing the live blog, and I think it's become a very important resource of ours. It's just one example. We also have many people scouring the news and what's happening, telegram channels, eyewitnesses, people they know, and sometimes longer pieces if they warrant it. Do you have a sense of what kind of information people are looking for? Has
2: there been one thing that's sort of overwhelmingly that, that your audience, that your readers
3: are responding to,
2: uh, or is it everything?
3: I, I feel like our, our style Uh, of just doing short, to the point, and what you need to know kind of news. Uh, I've I've seen us uh, keep independent on on several lists of, you know, top media, top trustworthy, good media to follow in Ukraine, and we're very young. We started in November, so this is uh, huge for us. How big is the staff? Uh, We have about up to 20 people. So how have you... Balanced
2: your work with the personal stress of uh, uh, going
3: through this. I do compartmentalize. I uh, sort of uh, whenever I feel fear, I kind of I like to describe it as a feeling in my stomach, this kind of adrenaline feeling. Um, and but I learned to kind of put it aside and focus my mind on what i have at hand, and sort of ignore the, the fear impulse. A lot of us are just really determined, uh, we've had people who were, would report several days with barely two hours of sleep. Um, it was, uh, (laughs) it's superhuman and it can't, it's not sustainable, but, uh, people are just, uh, you know, pushing themselves as hard as they can. Do you have family, um, and kids? Uh, no. And I'm very grateful for that because I, um, it would be very difficult for me knowing that my family could be in danger. Um, many of the people who are in this uh, escape column from Kyiv uh, have families and they want them out of danger. Uh, at the same time, I've heard stories where in Kyiv, uh, somebody from um, one member of the family wants to go and get uh, get the others to safety and the other ones don't want to go, usually it's the older folks uh, who have problems or they want to stay. So there's there's that. I've I've seen people. I've seen families end up staying because they can't agree on whether they should all go.
2: You attended university in part in New York, right? At CUNY.
3: I was I was born in Kiev and I grew up in New York and I finished uh, grad school around the turn of the year 2010.
0: So you moved there full time in 2019.
2: What is your assessment of what happens next? What is your level of optimism pessimism for Kyiv and for the country?
3: Uh, optimism. Well, I got to say the the Ukrainian military. I mean, they're they're taking some serious ass, and it surprised me by how well they've been able to just do their job and destroy tanks and planes and uh, uh, helicopters. All the experts I've been talking to for, for months have been hammering them home. We lack air defense. We lack air defense. We're going to get, you know, we're going to get our butts pounded. And no, I mean, they're holding, they're taking down missiles, they're taking down jets, they're taking down helicopters. When when, when put against the, the professionalism and determination of the, the Ukrainian military, it uh, goes a long way. But at the same time, I'm quite pessimistic about the... Uh, the human loss, the material loss, uh, the amount of time that this will set the country back if if it survives and has to rebuild or if Russia is able to start some kind of versioning change procedure. I think that uh, Ukraine has a very good chance of holding out, but I'm worried about what losses it will bear along the way.
2: How many people will die in the
3: fighting, you mean? Yeah. Uh, how many people will die? Uh, how many critical assets, uh, infrastructure just get destroyed? You know, uh, what kind of, what kind of priceless, uh, insurance will get, uh, lasted by Russian bombs and missiles, uh, you know, uh, economic setbacks, all of that, but mostly human life. Yes. I must say you don't sound terrified. Um, <laughs> I've been I've been up all night and riding in a car and uh, <laughs> not I mean you could only be you could only be worried for x amount of hours and then your body just it just goes away for a while so yeah so tell me what your plan now is you're gonna drive where are you driving to I think it was Goble
2: when you, uh, where are you headed?
3: yeah we're we're on on route from Kiev to Vinica and. Uh-huh. Uh, I will see what happens. I might go back to Kiev. I might stay in Vinnytsia. I might go somewhere else. I uh, have all my stuff with me. Um,
2: it's How did you pick that that place? Why why there?
3: Well, I didn't pick it actually. The the <laughs> our uh, company CEO actually uh, arranged for me to have a seat in the back of a friend's vehicle. Uh, <laughs> and they're they're actually escaping. Yeah, and they're they're actually. I I guess. I guess. Yeah, they're like. I guess we're going to Vinnytsia and then on to other cities from there. If you know, we can't find room. And I said, "All right." (laughs) But I'm thinking that uh, since the most important chapter might unfold, I might very well seek to go back to Kiev. I don't know yet. We'll see.
2: This is kind of a weird question, but um, we've been reading here about you know the the ban on men leaving the country if you're between the ages of 18 and 60, I think is what I read. Um, And all the images of people being given guns to pick up and fight. Um, Has has anybody asked you whether you're doing that or has that ever crossed your mind or what?
3: Uh, No, uh, it hasn't crossed my mind because I'm a journalist and I feel like my duty is to uh, report the news, and show the world not to pick up a gun and uh, shoot at Russians. Um, I mean, obviously, if push came to shove, I was in a desperate situation, sure, but uh, no, and no one's ever asked me, you know, hey, are you going to join territorial defense or whatever? I am, I have, I'm in an awkward situation because I'm American, but I'm also Ukrainian. So in order to Uh work here, I have to restore my Ukrainian citizenship. So technically, I'm, I shouldn't be allowed to leave, but I also have my American passport, which is valid. So uh-huh. I kind of have a card to play there. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I'm actually I actually heard that uh, they were they were not allowing men to leave the city of Kiev uh, today. That's what I heard. But you were able to. Um, well, I, I've heard that after I after I. Was out of Kiev. Uh, as a colleague told me, but I haven't had time to independently verify that.
2: Well, I wish you and your colleagues luck and safety. And we've all been reading you here,
0: and, and it's amazingly impressive what you're doing.
3: And um,
2: you thank you very you much. well.
3: Thank you very much. We really appreciate it.
0: So you can follow CJR's ongoing coverage of this conflict, including you can read a transcript of my conversation with Eleanor Beardsley on cgr.org. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and follow us via our daily email newsletter, The Media Today. Thanks for listening. See you next week.